know we spent a lot of time talking about the LNG industry today. Of course, the Cedar LNG was approved by the provincial government, a $3 billion project. We had Ellis Ross on the show at uh, the 3 p.m. hour. Let's talk about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. We haven't talked about it in a long time uh, on the show. Now, the original Trans Mountain Pipeline was built in 1953, and it continues to operate today. Uh, and it runs, of course, uh, over 1,100 kilometers, and it carries almost 300,000 barrels of oil per day between Alberta and, of course, to the West Coast. Uh, and it is a pipeline, as I said, built in 1953. Now, it is being twinned presently. Uh, Trans Mountain, it was originally announced by, of course, Kinder Morgan. Now, Trans Mountain was bought by the federal government for $4.5 billion dollars in 2018, after its previous owner, Kinder Morgan Canada, uh, threatened to scrap the pipeline uh, because uh, of the opposition from environmental op- from environmentalists and uh, the political uncertainty that was there. Now, the federal government bought the pipeline, and since then, the price tag has steadily increased from $7 billion in 2017 to $9.6 billion to, in 2018. And now we recently learned the cost of the Trans Mountain expansion project has now grown to 30 $0.9 billion, according to the Crown Corporation, behind the pipeline project. Joining me now to talk a little bit about uh, the escalating cost is Richard Masson. He's an executive fellow at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy. Mr. Masson, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. Uh, when you heard this number, $30.9 billion, what was your reaction? Well, it's a shocking number. You know, this pipeline originally uh, estimates were $5 billion. So this is about six times the early estimates. And and the latest increase, you know, from just a year ago is $10 billion. So it, it just says that everything that probably could have slowed and delayed the pipeline has gone that way. Um, there's been so many challenges with weather, the floods, fires, those types of things. Um, it's led to lower labor productivity. There's been more indigenous artifacts um, collected. And, and, you know, just one thing after another that's added to the cost of this this pipeline, and it makes it so expensive compared to what we thought it was going to be in the beginning. Uh, the private sector uh, proponents initially, Kinder Morgan, just based on the number alone, uh, one assumes it was the right decision for them to exit, just in regards to shareholders and responding to shareholders and the budget. Absolutely. From their point of view, they're, they're going to be very happy. Um, the way the contract is set up, there's a, a number of shippers. There are oil companies who produce oil or refiners who want to use the capacity to get the oil to their refineries. They, they signed a contract and certain amount of these costs will go to them through higher tolls that they'll pay over the coming 20 years. But many of the costs uh, won't because the deal that Kinder Morgan negotiated when this is a kind of common practice, you want to make sure that the person who's in charge of building the pipeline, who's got control over it, there's a bunch of the risk associated with it in case they're bad managers. And so that would lower their return. And that's the contract that's still in place. Now that the federal government owns the pipeline, it means lower revenue, well, not lower revenue, but lower returns for the federal government that will ultimately result in losses for all of us as taxpayers. Is this, um, you, you've gone through some of the reasons in regards to what has led to this uh, massive increase. Uh, is this to say it's not the government's fault, it's not the way that the project's being managed, it really is outside forces, or do you think 
part of it is the fact that we uh, we've allowed this company that makes pipelines that has the expertise and hand it over to a public entity. Do you think that's part of what's causing this or do you really believe that it is supply chains, it's labor issues, it's artifacts that were found along the way? We've had issues of flooding, of course, in British Columbia as well. It's, you know, I haven't done any analysis to say one way or the other, so I don't want to really comment on that. But I would say there's lots of examples of projects that have gone over budget. I mean, um, you know, oil projects in Alberta, like I was involved in the Northwest Upgrader. Mm-hmm. It was a $5 billion project that ended up costing $10, $11 billion by the time it was done, so double. Um, you know, the pipeline in, in northern BC to get um, to natural gas to the um, coast for the LNG project is, is over budget. Those things have tended to be, you know, 200% increases from, from initial budget. This is a bigger increase. Mm-hmm. Some of that is because it's going through densely populated areas, but a lot of it, it it's hard to say, um, you know, if it would have turned out differently if Kinder Morgan had still been in charge. Um, there was, Initially, when the federal government purchased the project, there was, uh, you know, many comments about the fact that it will get built and then a course, the, the government would sell the pipeline and we will get our initial return back, our initial investment back, and, and probably some profit along the way. Do you see taxpayers making any money on, on this at all? Or is this a case of just writing some of this off and let's just put it down as nation building? I think there's two parts we need to understand about this. This pipeline is a strategic piece of infrastructure for a lot of reasons. For Canada, you know, we're one of the biggest oil deposits in in the world. We're one of the bigger exporters in the world. And right now the world is still increasing its demand for oil. So before the COVID happened, we were around 99 million barrels a day of demand in the world. It's going to be about 102 million barrels a day this year. Uh, Much of that growth is coming from Asia and developing countries. And so this pipeline provides access for Canada's oil to get to those markets. That's more important now with Russia, you know, and the war in Ukraine and us trying to get off Russian oil. And so we've experienced huge discounts for the oil we produce because we don't have good access to market. And when we have discounts on the oil we sell, primarily to the United States, those refiners do really well. But it means taxpayers in Canada don't get the corporate income taxes um, the owners of the production don't get good revenues and, and royalties are lower. Mm-hmm. So that group of, of um, uh, stakeholders will benefit by having this pipeline, which will mean less discounts for heavy oil in particular. But the, the pipeline itself is not going to turn out to be a good uh, investment because at this price, uh, the revenue is, is, like I said, kind of fixed and there just won't be enough revenue to provide a, a commercial rate of return there will be losses associated with this when it's sold. Um, I, I was talking to Ellis Ross, a chief counselor, former chief counselor of the Heisler First Nation, who initially uh, uh, talked about the LNG industry and, and, and bringing in and, and getting involved with the industry. And, and today, of course, we heard of the C- LNG project, $3 billion Cedar LNG project getting approved. Of course, they're also building the LNG Canada project in Heisler territory uh, uh, as well. But one of the things Mr. Ross has talked about is even though it got, the LNG project was approved today, there's still you know permitting challenges, significant challenges still before us, uh, as there was for the first LNG project. Add to that our conversation today about um, the Trans Mountain Corp uh, pipeline and, and the challenges there and the costs that have come with it. There's been protests, of course. 
how do you think the international community views us as a place for investment when it comes to not only natural gas development, but as a country of law and order, where if you go through the process, spend the dollars, go through all the government uh, bureaucracy that you have to go through, go through all the permitting challenges that are there, uh, and even though you get that approval, you are still dealing with opposition. You are still dealing with the fact that this pipeline still had to be sold to the government for it to get done. How would you view our our ability to get things done and as a country of law and order and processes when it comes to our international reputation based on what this pipeline costs have, the pipeline costs here and of course the LNG industry as well? It's a, that's a big question. I would say we you know, clearly haven't done ourselves a lot of favours. Um, the process has been fraught for, for Trans Mountain. You know, it was the federal government who failed on proper consultation and we had to go back to the drawing board. Um, so that added some years to the process. So there's been a lot of things like that that, you know, hopefully we've learned from. Yet maybe we haven't because there's a new, you know, regulatory environment in place that we haven't even tested yet to see how it is. So all that provides uncertainty. On the other hand, we have a lot of dialogue and openness in our country. And so we talk about these things. You know, there's a lot of alignment around wanting to achieve net zero. So, um, you know, I just listened to your newscast about how LNG Canada is going to be one of the lowest emitting facilities in the world. I think that's also true with um, uh, uh, cedar. So we need to put that in the context of the global demand for energy. China is continuing to build coal plant after coal plant because they don't have access to reliable LNG. And so in that context, the more that Canada can do with our high regulatory standards and with our commitment to trying to mitigate greenhouse gases through the production and transport of our, our energy, the better off the world is going to be. And part of our, our whole challenge in this country is to make sure that people understand, you know, what we're doing and how it fits into a global context. A lot of people want to move off hydrocarbons right away. It's just not feasible to do that in the near term. There's, there's not good alternatives. We need to continue to work on electrifying cars. That's going to help to a degree. But that's only part of the challenge because, you know, light duty vehicles are only part of the, the demand. So we have to find a way to transition. We have to find a way to be efficient about building things in order to, to help the world by delivering, you know, lower LNG, lower greenhouse gas LNG and, and oil to the world. That's, that's how I see it. Mr. Masson, thank you for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Take care.